Hi, and welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. I'm Caroline. I run the Ballard Designs blog, How to Decorate. And I'm Taryn. I'm on the product design team at Ballard. And I'm Karen, and I head up branding at Ballard. And we are your hosts. Hi. Okay, so ladies, should we do a trial and a triumph? Yes. My trial is I can't sing. <laughs> it's a recent development. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, your voice is changing with your age. <laughs> so changey. All right, can I talk about something I've been working on? Yes. Yes, please. Okay. If you could see listeners, listeners, dear listener, if you could see what's going on in the screen right now, you would see that I work in the sunroom in my house and it has three beautiful windows, but they're unadorned in any way. And they used to have kind of matchstick shades on them that roll down. And I, I can't remember our guest that we had. It was a gentleman. Um, I loved him a lot, but he basically was like, look, Roman shades always break because you know, you, you they're up, they're down, and they're complicated. He's like, I, I usually cut the cord off and stick a roller blind underneath, and it's really just for show, right? Mm-hmm. So after my match stick blind broke, after, you know, years of teenagers pulling on them, <laughs> pulled them down, and my windows have been bare. And so I decided I'm going to get Roman shades made for these windows. Okay, so I picked out a fabric, which I'm going to hold up for your edification. Hold, please. It's from Beth Lacefield, who is a vendor that we work with. Um, often at Ballard. I'm nodding. Yeah. So, what would that? What would you call that? It's like a big. It looks like a palm leaf, but not. Like but it's a geometric pine cone, mm-hmm. and it's just white and chocolate, chocolate brown. So it's it's a graphic sort of and large. Like the pattern is way bigger than yes. my hand. Yes. Yes. So it took me forever to find a fabric and pick it out, and so now I've committed to getting these done. But you guys, they're expensive. I just want to say, yeah, like each one to get made is going to be like eight, nine hundred dollars. And I need three because my windows, I guess, are, you know, six Yikes. feet wide. Have you shopped around? I have. I'm going to do a little more shopping around. Um, okay. This person that I was going to go with is a person who works with Ballard a lot on on projects that we do, you know, just sewing projects and things. So I trust her. Um, but I've also reached out because it just seems like so much money. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Right. But it's like the price of a sofa for, you know, something I don't I don't have to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Try Especially it. knowing you're oh. not using it. Sorry. Right. I'm just looking at it. The, but I did do what the that gentleman suggested. And if one of you remembers his name, give him all the credit. I did get little roller blinds, just tiny little petite. They're not tacky at all. I'm going to see if you can see them. Right there. Can you see them? They're tiny. Right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have west sun. This window faces the west, and this is where I work every day. And so in the afternoon, the sun just blazes through that window, nice. and they're giant windows, and it gets so hot in here. So I got those tiny little shades. They pull down. You'll never see them. They blend right into the woodwork, yes. and that worked great. And I'm happy to put a link in the show notes to the vendor I use. Yeah, where'd you online. get those? I got them from an online company. I don't remember the name, um, but I Perfect. did a lot of like – 
looking at reviews and making sure it was, you know, going to be nice quality. And um, and I'm so pleased. And they do just inch increments. So it's sort of custom, but it really isn't. They just stock them in inch increments. So you just get whatever nice. fits. And it was super easy to install. And uh, they're really good. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I am like Bob the Builder. Y'all probably don't know who that is, but... <laughs> He's amazing. So um, I rewired my own lamp. <gasps> I am wildly. No, impressed. you did not. Yes, I did. Yes. That's okay. so, so cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So I don't know if you guys remember, but I have this sort of like sort of sculpture lamp thing, and I got it in Italy, and it's super heavy, and it looks like sort of a sea urchin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the other downside of this thing that I had shipped over from Italy, I couldn't carry it in my lap because <laughs> it's like nine thousand pounds. Um, Wait, is this, is this the one in your dining room? Well, now it's on the floor by my living by my entry. You walk in the door and it's on the floor right beside you. It used to be in my living room. I mean, dining room. So, and it also had a European plug because I bought it in Italy. So anyway, eventually it just stopped working. I don't know what, why. I don't know. So I texted Roger, who was our lighting expert on our lighting show, who rewires yeah. lamps and mm -hmm. does repairs all over town. And I was like, Roger, can you help me? Can you rewire this? And he's like, sure. You know. Let me know when you're going to bring it over. And then I'm like, bring it over. It's like a bazillion pounds. So then I decided, you know, why don't I just give it a whirl? I'm going to try to rewire this on my own. I got on Amazon. I bought myself an $8 light kit. And I did it, ladies. I did mm. it. Well, hey, awesome, I'm impressed. I'm wildly impressed. Yes, I am too. Maybe just don't hard. leave it on while you leave the house, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that complicated, you guys. It's literally right. two right. wires that you screw into something, and then you're done. I have never That's done really it. really cool. Then it's good so to know. Easy. So I highly recommend you guys trying it if you have a lamp that is on the fritz or old or whatever. Or if you I want to turn it. a vase into a lamp or something, you can oh, do Oh, I this. have thought about doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can do it. I'll go next. My trial is, did I, I, I don't think I told y'all about this, but if I did, stop me. Um, we have just my regular dining chairs we have dinner in are just a um, slip seat mid-century chair mm -hmm. with a little cane back. And David was just leaning, leaning uh -oh. in the chair. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know where and, this is going. <laughs> yep. And they kind of crickety because they're from 1950. So they're right. 70 years old. So you leaning in them kind of make a noise. Mm -hmm. So I'm like. You know, kind of watching, listening, but not saying anything because, mm -hmm. you know, he's done this before. It snapped. Uh -uh. He, yep. So the whole back piece is one assembled piece. And then there's two pegs um, on either side that connect the apron of the chair underneath your seat to the back. <sighs> so Taryn, who went to school for this and did yeah, this for two years. Furniture. Exactly. Yeah, so I contacted my old woodworking teacher, no joke, <laughs> because he, like, full-time now, like, fixes furniture, and I was like, all right, oh, Alan. Perfect connection. I was like, Alan, I think this is how you would do it, but I want to confirm, and um, anyway, so he, he's been helping me through it, but it is funny. So because, you're doing it yourself? Yeah, I mean, <gasps> we just need to nice. do DIY show. Y'all are all so, mm -hmm. we're just so handy. Yeah, now. Handy. It's not done yet, and no one's sat in it yet, so stay tuned. Okay, yeah. But, um, that was my trial, because I was really peeved that David did that, but I also mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. it was just probably a matter of time. So I will hopefully fix it and get back to you guys. And then my triumph is the our house plans for our new home mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are officially with our builder, which means he is supposed to submit them now. For permitting? 
for permitting to the city. Yeah. So, How long is that taking? Is it delayed at all because of COVID? It is definitely delayed. And I do have, we're asking a, pretty much for take down 20 trees. We have 40 on our lot. Wow. There are 40 trees. So we um, have to take down about 20. So um, wow. 20 trees. And so, are, are they all pine trees? Almost all of them. We do have an oak right in the center of right behind this window behind me, like in the center of our backyard where there will be how oh, mm, there'll, there'll be, be a house there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that one's kind of, that's the only hardwood one we're worried about other than and the rest are all the huge, tall, skinny pines. So, so you don't um, have to get a permit if they're under six inches, right? Do you have a lot, are all 20 of them over six inches? Oh yeah. Like, oh Yeah. This property is old and yeah. it's been preserved. Think of all the pine needles you won't have to rake up. Mm-hmm. Oof, I hate a pine I mean, needle. Yes, we have I hate pine trees. I do trash terrible trees. thing to say. They trash I, trees. Mm-hmm. And I know City of Atlanta is such a great, you know, they do such a, we, Caroline actually talked about this recently about, she was talking about Trees Atlanta and how they, you know, give away, like, I understand that we want to keep trees in the city and we want, we don't want to clear cutter. Like we don't want a builder like to come in and clear the whole lot. We want to keep trees. It's just that we need more house. So, (laughs) well, Taryn, you are not the first person in that neighborhood to do that because you're right in the middle of a neighborhood of ginormous houses. Yeah. So, Um, but, but I hear that's kind of the stall or like that might Mm. be the issue with Mm -hmm. our permitting. So two to three months and then we'll move out of my home. So So what are you going to do? Who are you going to move in with? Are you renting a house? What's, what's happening? Probably just renting an apartment, just going old school. Um, I would love to rent a home, but around to stay around where we are, it's like three times the price of an apartment. And if you're building a expensive home, it seems like a waste of money. So totally. Yeah, well, do the little drive around like I did. Do the little drive around your neighborhood for, and look for those, you know, hand drawn signs that say for rent. You I know, loved it. That that's yeah. what I did, I would, and it was yeah. perfect. I would love to be in a house instead of an apartment, but there are quite a few that have three bedroom apartments, so it's not the smallest thing either. So uh-huh. no, but we were in a duplex. And so then we also made great friends and stayed in the neighborhood. I loved that your little story. You had Karen had the best story. You had a great, yeah, yeah. I did have a great experience. It was yeah, (laughs) totally like you couldn't have made up a better experience to be honest. Yeah. So (laughs) I need to start driving around. (laughs) So you might as well. Might as well check it out. Okay, Caroline. Well, no, wait. I have more questions though about the um, Taryn you shared. An, at least an initial drawing with us. And I was curious, like, about just the house plans. Like, tell us about the, I don't know, is there anything that you're especially excited about in the drawings outside of just having a new house? Like, anything that you worked in that we talked about on a show? I just feel like I love that you have been like so crazy. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Everything is related to it. Like, I feel like I've learned so much from all these designers, I've obviously tried to tuck away as many nuggets as I can. I'm obviously electric. Like I've talked, you know, even thinking about lighting plans has been like, I was looking at the plan and the architect was like, Oh, well this isn't final. But I was like, but no, the switch isn't in the right place for this. And like, I was trying to think through like living in the space and it was hard, but we're doing a little, I guess, fun things that are different than, you know, what we have now is a little wet bar in the dining room. Um, and I want to do that in 
I'm hoping in a bright color and then do a subdued color for the room itself. So the dining room will be a nice subdued and then it's going to be like a, you know, acid yellow cabinetry. Little so um, are you going to hire a designer? I have hired one to help me looking at these original plans. Now for actual decorating, I'm really going to, I'm going to try to do a stab myself. I thought architecturally makes sense because moving walls are, is expensive where picking a different paint color is, you know, a little bit less. So, um, when right now I'm actually working with one, like I said, to make sure all the hard things, but I mm-hmm. kind of want, I don't know right you now. I do want, it. I want to do it. I want to try fun. it after yeah. all this. It'd be yeah. fun after so much we've learned that I just want to kind of take a stab at it. But with that said, I might be overwhelmed in three months and be like, no, I need somebody who can handle this. So I don't have to, but yeah. right now I, I want to play. How um, far in like the decorating process are you thinking or are you kind of just like creating a shell and you feel like okay I'll decorate it later or do you do you have like a vision for what you want in the room and that's how you're like I mean, you're trying to fit your current furniture into some of these spaces I thought you said yeah yes yeah we talked through that a little bit about like what pieces could fit where of what I have already um because you know after you spend however much building a new home I'm not going to be able to immediately personally I'm not going to be able no, to you're going to be house poor that's yes, normal. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have ideas and plans, but I do not have like some of the rooms are not concrete by like, mm-hmm. you know how you had your dining room, like you knew the chair, you knew the back upholstery, you knew the dining table. I'm not there. I'm more like I'm still on like the hard shell parts that I know I'm gonna have to decide, mm-hmm. I guess. And making sure layout layout wise, I know what I want because that yeah. too would change where you put things, outlets and lights and stuff. Right. But then you can find the perfect piece for that spot when it's time. You don't have to ha- fill it up immediately. Yeah. And then I tried to make, I mean, things I've learned from this show and Caroline, this is going to, you're going to have no time for your own. Yeah. Caroline, you need to go. Okay. It's your um, turn. Mine is, mine is like fairly quick. So I, um, can't remember if like months ago, I can't remember if I told you all about this. I know I've maybe, anyways. So I um, bought these two runners for our hallway. Well, we have a couple hallways, but um, there's a particular hallway that goes down into our bedroom. And um, Blair's room is also off of this hallway. But about halfway down the hallway, there's a door. That's the door to our bedroom. And um, back like in May or something, I ordered some vintage like Ushak rugs to put in the hallway. And there are two of them. They're not a matching pair. They're the same size, but they're the same pattern, but in different colors. Like one is sort of like a um, light blue with like pinks. Mm -hmm. And then one is like sort of a brown and dark blue. Mm -hmm. But it's a mirror image of the the patterns are mirrored. Okay. so I wanted to put the dark one in our dark bedroom, in our dark blue bedroom. And then I was going to do, I put like the pink and blue one in our, like in the area that Blair's room's in. Because I eventually was kind of thinking I'd do her bathroom in sort of pinks. Anyways, long story short, these um, rugs are like three by five. And I don't know if any of y'all have had three by five rugs before, but they like never stay in place. 
and I got a great rug pad. I got my tried and true um, memory foam memory foam rug pad. It's really thick. It ha- it's like rubbery, and so I felt like that would have like a good tooth to it to stick to the floor. It did not. Is the pad moving, or the yeah, rug it's and all the pad? Moving. The both pad's are moving. moving. Yes, both are moving. But is Hi. the rug moving off the pad? Sometimes, yeah. It okay. kind of just, you know, how sometimes over time the the rug pad can like will like scooch just like incrementally every day. You know what I'm talking about? To where it then starts showing. It's so annoying, but it it basically kind of does that. Um, so. Long so that that's the trial. The triumph is that I um, asked one of our designers what I should do about it, and she suggested I order some carpet tape, and I did, and it came the next day on Amazon, and I taped them to my floor, and they are moving no longer, and it is awesome. And Perfect. I'm now like delighting your life down to everything. Yes, yes you do. so it if either of you need some carpet tape, uh, well, like she I said, it's no joke. Now. It is no joke, that carpet tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. And you were worried about f- the finish on your floor if it was going to hurt it. And I said, you know, if it, you do pull it up and it has like gummy or glue on it, you know, you can always use WD-40 like to get that off or goo gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I mean, a lot of rug pads also, you have to be careful because a lot of rug pads will damage your hardwood floors. Mm-hmm. If you leave them on there, especially if you leave them on there like for years, like we usually all do, and then you pull <laughs> it up, and then you know you'll have like a waffle pattern on your hardwood. So, it yeah, happens. I know, I know. and I can't speak to, um, you know, whether this tape will. What you're not. Will like you're not term. gonna give it a whole like f- thumbs up yet. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's sticking great mm-hmm. so far. It's been up for what a week. So, um, anyways, but if anyone needs has the same issue carpet tape it's like the world's strongest double-sided tape and it is it will keep your rugs from moving so anywho ah. those are my trials and triumphs but they're really pretty rugs and i'm happy with how they look i just i like that wanted I them to stay place. Have fun yeah so fun perfect cool all right let's get to our let's guest do it So our guest today is a painter. He's a shop owner, a decorator, and now an author. His first book, Cabinet and Camera, is named after a shop up in the Catskills in upstate New York. His name is Sean Shearer, and his book, Cabinet and Camera, Creating Authentic Interiors, is published by Vendome Press. And we were just so thrilled to get an advanced copy and get a chance to chat with you on the podcast. So I think we probably all were a little bit especially excited to read the um, foreword from Anderson Cooper was pretty cool. And um, I mean, your book is just, it's, it's, I was really wowed by it because the way that you show, you take a very humble things and you display them in a really surprising and special way. And I think it like, it's definitely something that you have just mastered and we can all learn a little bit from both to sort of um, inspire our, our own collections, but also just maybe to take things that we already have and display them in a new way to really get a, a, a more striking effect maybe than what we would have done 
on our own. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Sean, how did, <laughs> you, how did you develop this love of object? Well, I, I, I talk a little bit about it in the introduction. Uh, my mother was a collector and a kind of, you know, amateur interior decorator. And she was constantly rearranging the furniture and, and buying new things and painting and repainting and painting. So uh, <laughs> things were always, always changing. Uh, and then she also, at a very young age, uh, would dra drag me along the thrift stores. and On the back of her store. bike. Yes, on right? the back of her bike. So, <laughs> so it just, it just the kind of, I think, love of objects was, was started at, you know, a very, very young age. And since I've always, you know, even before I knew I was going to be an artist, I've always been attracted to textures and colors and different forms and shapes. So it just all came just about naturally that, that you know, this love of, of collecting and objects. I love the way in your book, um, you you mentioned that you your background is in painting and you were a painter for many years. And I thought it was interesting because the way that you talk about the spaces that you're showing in your book, it's they seem to almost be driven in the same way you might describe a painting. Like you're talking about composition and color and texture, but it's almost as though you're describing art, even if you're describing the process of decorating. And so... Maybe that's just somewhere we can start and you can kind of share with us how those two mediums are similar since maybe for someone who isn't an artist, it right. seems like they would be very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really wanted the book especially to, you know, to be accessible on that level and to really try to, that, that's also why the book is not, um, it's not uh, uh house by house it's broken up into subjects or chapters about texture and color and so forth and with the exception of anderson cooper writing the foreword uh all the homes are also anonymous because i really didn't want it to be about the homeowners or anything i really wanted it uh the reader to get takeaway lessons uh, because i think a lot of i mean i love interior design books and everything but i think a lot of them are very um unattainable and they don't really give people access to what's going on in the pictures, you know, or, or stuff. it's more about, you know, the provenance or something, but it's not really about, you know, how do you take this worn butcher block table and put it in this room with a tin box or whatever, and how you make it all look, you know, authentic, but also your own, your own space. So um, going to what you're saying, you know, it, it also stems out of my education as an artist. Um, I went to, to School Art Institute of Chicago and the Whitney Museum's Independent Study Program. Um, so I believe in, in design or art in very much the Renaissance idea where an artist was an inventor, a creator, a philosopher. There was no, there's no division or there's no hierarchy for me. So whether it's a painting or a dinner party or a room or a composition, whatever, the, all those lessons uh, are inherent. So when I used to teach a, a class, a design class, they said, there's no, there's no, you know, the rules of composition or design are fundamentally the same, whether you're doing a three-dimensional composition, meaning your room or a dining room or living room, or a flat composition on a canvas, 
you still want your eye to move around the room or the canvas. You still want, you know, things to textures to, you know, pick up and, and excite the eye and things. So that's what I really wanted to try to stress was, yes, the connection with art terms um, and the background of artists, but also to try to, you know, elevate design or interior design and connect them. So, so just like you said, so they're really, so people can hopefully see that there really isn't uh, a hierarchy in my mind, that difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, I love the way that you sectioned it out by um, color, like you were saying and things like that. And at the end of each chapter gave such practical tips um, for the reader because I, mm-hmm when you look at your book, which you guys is phenomenal and so interesting and, and just absolutely yeah, visually stunning. Um, there's a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff, things. I mean, like I said, you're just this love of object, but then you talk about, well, how do you make it not too much? You know, if you've got a lot of things, how do you make it not too much? Can you touch on that a little bit for us? You know, the way you corral it or group it, yeah, so um, to become a, you know, I, I, I say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a modern, modernist at heart. I mean, I love shaker design. I love Bauhaus. I love clean modern just as much as I love 19th century um, cabinet of curiosity uh, idea uh, or maximalism. Uh, so I think if you kind of take the I- lessons from minimalism and apply them to maximalism, you can add order to what sometimes or often is chaotic, you know, mm-hmm. so just basically using symmetry and balance pretty much a lot, almost all of my vignettes or wall pieces or salon styles really heavily uh, depend on that, on the idea of symmetry and balance uh, and repeat a form. So, you know, when you have multiples of a single thing or multiples of like a, in a collection where it's variations, variations on a theme, that actually your eye, if it's housed or displayed in a way where it's not spread all over the place, if it's contained on a shelf or a cabinet or across a mantle or whatever, your eye really reads that as one thing. It's mm-hmm. not reading all, you know, it might be 50 little objects on a mantle, but when it's in mass like that, your eye reads it as one. So it doesn't become scattered or overwhelming. I think the mistake a lot of people make is that they spread out the collections because they think it's too, it's too much together. So you see three on a shelf there and you might see three somewhere else and, and they just start proliferating around. And that's where you, one, lose the presence of the collection. Mm-hmm. But that's where I think clutter or where it might become too busy. And I think people also do that with pictures. They think, you know, we'll put a row, a row, a long row around a room instead of containing, you know, six or nine in a, in a grid. So it's really about using that, mm-hmm. the mod, using modernism to allow you to have much more traditional displays of things. And you do a great job in your book uh, speaking to that and then showing it in rooms, which is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, practically. Yeah, I have to tell happen. you, I already am like, hmm, I need to I need to put all of my pottery on one bookcase instead of, <laughs> I, I, you know, well, I'm using it, so it might have 
branches or something, but I think I've, I'm already like, what can I restyle? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there was a, there was a part in the book where you talk about someone coming into your shop and she bought a little yellow box and she told you that she was going to use that yellow box to inspire the whole color palette in the room. And there was something that you said in telling the story that I thought was just so genius and I'd never thought of, but you mentioned how um, using small items throughout your room and repeating the color in those small mm-hmm. items is essentially the same way that an artist might use a very small amount of one color in the composition of their their painting. And I thought that was so smart just because I don't think that most of us would think of the very small objects in the room in being as important maybe to the overall mm-hmm. color palette as maybe we should think about them. So maybe you can kind of explain that a little bit and why, you know, why we need to well, consider them. I, th- I think actually a room is made by the small objects. And I think that the small objects actually um, create uh, the mood and the feeling. Obviously they can really play with the scale because they're small and that they're in a big room. But I think that, the smaller objects actually become more noticeable because you're usually much more closer to the smaller objects, especially if they're like displayed on a coffee table or an end table, or again, back to the mantle or bookcase, um, as opposed to like one big sofa or one big piece of furniture. I think your eye also tends to focus on smaller items uh, in a room. So um, I think, you know, in a sense, the book really is my one of my, uh, other favorite quotes, which is a very popular quote that's also in the book, is from Henry Ford, which is, every object tells a story if you know how to read it. So I think every object in a room is embedded with with meaning, um, where it came from, who made it, what period it is, but also personal meaning, because why did you choose it? What attracted you to it? Is it a piece that's been handed down in your family. So all of those little objects actually are kind of, you know, little ambassadors of who you are. Um, and then thinking along that way too, I know a lot of people are scared of color or scared of bold color. And that yellow tin box is a great way of dipping into color, bold color. But it's also an example that you don't need to have a, a yellow, a bright yellow wall or well, you can have, small items that have the same kind of visual impact. And um, if they're picked up, you know, like in a pillow, a tin box, same color beeswax candles, so forth, and they're carried throughout the room, again, that kind of connection that your eye travels around the room makes the color seem much more impactful. So you can use color in more subtle ways um, uh, and have it be successful without diving in and, you know, having really, really, you know, big hits of color. I think there's a, there's a, there's a couple photographs, but there's the one uh, that illustrates that a lot in the book, which is a pretty much, it's a white kitchen with a sarnen table. And it's a f- pretty, pretty minimal palette, but there's some hit of yellow in the pillows and on a set tea. And there's a little, you know, toll where there's just hits of color and those hits of color really pop in that, that minimal setting, but it also, they add so much warmth to that room that otherwise white pillows in a whitewashed room wouldn't do. 
Right. But that being said, some of, I, I, lo- I love no color. I mean, that's pretty much my house, but some of my favorite images from your book were the color, the walls, just the saturation and that vibrant color. Is there a certain person who likes that more than another? Or do you find that once you get it in there, most people like the color? I think most people respond to color. I just think, like I said before, I think most people are intimidated mm-hmm. by it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we are, you know, I think mo- a lot of people who don't, you know, look or a lot at design books or interior books or things, you know, we often inherit, a, you know, basically when you buy an, a, a new home or an apartment, it comes in contractor white paint. Mm-hmm. And I think most people just leave. <laughs> they don't really change the contractor <laughs> white paint. So a lot of people spend many years living in white boxes, not thinking of, you know, uh, and it's amazing how many times when, you know, how people, uh, customers or, and, and friends and clients have struggled so much over choosing paint. And I always tell them it's, it's just paint. Right. You can paint mm-hmm. over it. It's the easiest <laughs> thing to change. Or just paint a three yeah. by three foot section and live with it. But it's just paint. It's not, you know, it's not demolition. <laughs> it's not construction. You can really try it out. And sometimes, you know, it, I mean, I, I've I've made mistakes before. I mean, sometimes I've tried a color and I was like, oh, this wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Paint it out. <laughs> Do you use yeah. that in your store? Do you use color in your store? Or is it mostly white walls? It was a little hard to tell. Uh, it, the store over the years um, has gone through many variations. So it has been um, off-white or beige. Then it had accents of yellow, like cadmium yellow wall. Then I started adding the papering technique of my photographs. Um, at one time, I switched it from the beige to a really, really um, dark gray. So it was a dark. So it's gone. Th- it goes uh, my stores changes. I use the store as a kind of a lab, um, you know, that changes with how I change. Uh, but I also think it's important that the store changes because you have to keep it lively for your customers. It can't always look the same every time they come back season to season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and for you so too, right? Every, every couple <laughs> of seasons, I try to do a big <laughs> overhaul. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's a canvas for you. I, Absolutely. I mean- yeah. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about the store? I cabinet and, and camera is is or cabinet camera is German, obviously for a cabinet, as in cabinet of curiosities or wunderkammer. And um, camera is also a uh, chamber or a room. So a Kunstkammer could be an art gallery. So that's where cabinet and camera means. But basically, it means cabinet mm-hmm. and room or cabinet and chamber with a K. Uh, if you guys are looking it up K. online, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, we'll give everyone, I, yeah, like I your moved, origin uh, story. Yeah. Yeah, I moved up from uh, New York City to the Catskills uh, after 9-11. And uh, about a year after 9-11, I was living in lower Manhattan uh, at the time. Uh, and I just needed to get out of lower Manhattan uh, and all of that. And uh, a friend had recently bought a house up in the Catskills, never been there before, uh, and vis- took one visit. And I was like, oh, this is pretty pretty wonderful. Um, so eventually bought a place. And then a few years after living here, met a great community of creative people that were already up here. Uh, and one of those people was um, Brooke Alderson, who was a retired actress who had a great shop called Brooks Variety, uh, and which was very, very 
brightly colored, like Mexican, antique Mexican ceramics and painted iron furniture. It was just always bright, bright colors. Uh, and anyway, she encouraged me after a visit to my house. She's like, why don't you do this? Or why don't you try a store? So that's really how I, I got started. And it's funny, uh, I never really thought of doing a shop until then. You know, it just was never really in my, you know, in, in my head about being a shopkeeper. Um, but once I did it, it, you know, it seemed very natural and it uh, became, an, you know, instantly, um, people instantly responded to it. So, uh, yeah, it became, a, you know, like I said, it's just another form of my artistic output. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a way for me to keep buying <laughs> and collecting things, but not holding on to them. <laughs> so I get so, to buy them yeah. and love them and then pass them on. I was going to ask that. I was going to ask how hard it was to give up some of that stuff because as a person that loves things, it must be hard to let give it go. Away. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. I mean, it can be. I mean, I, I try really hard now when I'm out shopping that I know I'm shopping for the store. Right. Uh, and I know what a, is a cabinet and camera object, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I have very specific, you know, even though there's a vast array of objects, you know, I really do have a very specific, you know, kind of narrow idea of what fits the store. Uh, I always say to people when, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to exp- explain the store or what I do because I mean, I technically it's a lifestyle store design store and I'm an antique dealer, but it's, you know, I, th- I think again, more towards like a European idea of an antique dealer, which it's a much more of a creative output because uh, there's lots of things I see out there that there might be a lot of profit in, you know, if I bought and sold them, but I don't, they don't fit the, they don't fit the look of the shop. Uh, so it's really limited to what fits and what I can, um, tell stories with because it really is about the narrative uh, and the conversation that happens between the objects. And it's kind of funny when I go on buying trips, unconsciously I come back with a bunch of stuff and they all fit. <laughs> they all fit <laughs> like this. Like, oh, this vign- it's a perfect vignette. Like it was planned ahead of time. <laughs> but then does someone yeah. buy it and ruin your vignette and then you're all mad? Like you cannot have that stuffed ostrich. It, it has <laughs> no, to be here. No, that's what, People come in and say that I'm ruining your whole thing. I'm like, no, that's what it's. Please buy it. (laughs) That's That's really funny. (laughs) But that's, I guess, wonder what's really wonderful about um, Instagram or or social media is that now you can share those vignettes and they're recorded. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) as before, you know, when I first started um, the shop in 2007, it was pre, pre, you know, Instagram and stuff. So there's so many great photos and store, you know, vignettes I don't have record of in the Mm -hmm. first few years of the shop. So, you know, I think that's one thing that's, that's nice because you can share and you can also share to people around the world who may not ever get the chance of coming through the doors of the store. Sure. Mm-hmm. So how, oh, how for us, it's yeah, been so nice. It, has. <laughs> it was nice to really see your vision between the book and your Instagram and really, dive in and again mm-hmm. without driving to the Catskills though I would <laughs> no I wouldn't but how have you been shopping during COVID I have been staying within our little 
tri-state area that's very low. So upstate New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. So I've been avoiding any of the big cities. And of course, I didn't go into New York City during the height and everything and, and stuff. So luckily, I mean, we, unfortunately, New York or New York City, uh, as everyone knows, got hit really bad and early. And now, thankfully, the rate is very, very low, and hopefully it will stay that way. Um, but that's what I'm doing now is just staying in, in places uh, that are that are uh, low risk. Uh, but I always, I, I say to a lot of people, it's funny, though, because n- luckily, not that much has really changed for, for me, because I, my shop is in a small village in a rural area, uh, you know, even in the busiest time or busiest day pre-COVID, maybe 20 people would be in the shop at a given time. So socially distancing was already kind of built in. <laughs> and where I go shopping is other small, you know, antique malls and, you know, shows tend to be out in countryside anyways. Right. Sparsely populated areas and and lower rent areas. So it it's, you know, it's parts of it doesn't feel like it's changed much except for the face masks and constantly, you know, sanitizing. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but. Well, I have some questions about using antiques um, because you speak to, you know, how you don't speak to them being precious per se um, and, and about using them. And there's ones that I think are decorative that you more or less aren't going to touch every day. Um, But then you have things that you are like cabinets or, you know, upholstery or things like that, that you want to use. Is there any tips or tricks or do you just tell people use it? Like don't, don't hesitate. Yes. Use it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to ruin, you know, there's that whole feeling of you ruining it for the next generation. And it's a very, you know, I don't know. I don't want to ruin it, but I also want to be able to sit on it and open the cabinet and use it. But yeah, that was why I asked. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, why it was really important to say creating authentic interiors as the, the byline of the of the book, because, you know, I mean, I love design and I love high-end design, but I, I don't see, you know, a $50,000 sofa as being very practical or, you know, it's like if you can't use it, um, you know, or if it's a space, I mean, some people don't use their homes that often, you know, so mm-hmm. a lot of those, those kind of high end homes that you see in a lot of home deck magazines, but, uh, or shelter magazines. But I think that, you know, you should definitely use it. If it's something that's really precious, like a family heirloom or valuable, put it in a place that's more safe. But, you know, I think you should, you should live with what you have. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that we are, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there's so many outlets out there now where you can get great design and great stuff, new sofas, things like that, that don't cost a fortune and you can be comfortable using them, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, you know, the other thing too, I, I love to do is reupholster furniture. And I think what, you know, that's something else that people don't realize they can do. Just like, if you don't like the paint, change it or find <laughs> it with a paint color is time for a new color. You know, if you have a good frame, you can const- you can reupholster that every five or six or whatever, you know, seven years. And, and, you know, not only is it 
environmentally <laughs> sustainable, it's also, you know, right. a great way of changing things up. So definitely, uh, I mean, there's definitely some things of higher value in my interiors and in my home, but I don't think there's anything of such preciousness that, you know, I wouldn't, you know, want it to be at least be out on display or seen, uh, if not physically used. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you a question about some of your cabinets because, okay. And I'm going to assume that this is Anderson Cooper's house because it has a fireman's staircase. Um, oh, and, and an, an, an antique and Island. Mm -hmm. Caroline, um, he's keeping it secret. <laughs> hey, he talks about it in the intro. Yes. Anderson does. So, you know, anyways, but so there's this great big cabinet that has these teeny tiny drawers. I'm like, what on earth does he put in these narrow drawers so that it was a giant flat file so for maps and charts and prints and um they had a very big collection of 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 that of prints of 19th 18th century oh prints. okay so it's it's probably not enough to fill that entire cabinet but that's what it it's used for so it's like a map case oh wow. okay that makes and sense filled with drawings and you know and you know and then anderson's you know, mother was an artist, so, she, you know, I'm not sure where her archives have gone either, but there's a lot of, you know, mm -hmm. art in there in his family. Right. And that space, too, okay, uh, that makes sense. if I recall correctly, you had, because uh, you talk about, and maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit, you talk about using objects in unusual ways. So, um, instead of putting a rug on a floor, you hang a rug on a wall, or you could take an object that usually would sit on a desk and maybe you mount it on a wall or something like that. But in that space, um, there was a large, you know, sort of Persian looking rug and then a table with another rug over it. Right. Is that, is that the same space? Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I, first of all, I thought it was all one rug at first. Then I had to kind of look and realize it was a smaller rug um, over this table on the larger rug, which was so fabulous to me. Would you elaborate a little bit on that idea of taking an object and using it outside of context? Yes. Uh, so just as much as, uh, I, I'm not a, I do not believe in um, period anything. And uh, in fact, I was just out on a buying trip last week and I went into to, uh, a really beautiful high-end, you know, high-end country collectible, mostly almost exclusively all painted 19th century furniture. But after the third stall, everything just started negating each other because everything was period. And to me, too much of one thing or too much period, whether it's mid-century uh, or 20th century or 19th century, it just, no, no object can stand alone. So you could take one or two objects from that place and put them in a different context in a contemporary setting or a very white on white room like yours and they will pop and they will stand out and that so it's the, it's that simple it's taking something either historically out of its traditional context or taking it out of its typical use uh like i think i mentioned i found this great shoe sh shine box that was painted aqua and it had this you know the shape of a foot you know foot rest uh, and I hung it perpendicular on the wall and it just became like this pop modernist art. Uh, and that's a great example of just taking the ordinary and making it look very, you know, special. Um, it's also how I like to use taxidermy. I don't like a tradi traditional taxidermy or, 
again, I think I mentioned it's like uh, taxidermy in a traditional setting, like a log cabin or a hunter's shack doesn't have the same feeling as it does in a contemporary or colorful room. So it really is just about taking things out of their context uh, and surprising people with that, that change uh, and make, allowing the object to, uh, you know, speak on its own. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I gotta say I'm from South Alabama and the taxidermy threw me I was like, I didn't expect to like this, but it actually <laughs> looks kind of cool. Well, you see it a lot <laughs> in Europe, I feel like in unusual settings. So, um, mm-hmm. when you say it, you know, I, it feels very European to me. You talk about that in yeah. the books, the way you've collected. Mm-hmm. And I think your experiences over the years have led you to this place where you lived in Paris and all of that. So it's, it's, it's fun to see the journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You also Thank talk you. about taking little unusual spaces and, you know, injecting a lot of stuff into those. Like, you know, maybe you only have eight inches of wall in a corner, you know, and hanging a lot of, you know, small little mirrors or small little pieces of art or things like, that. like those little opportunities that we usually overlook. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that, uh, uh, well, that's also just the need to get more <laughs> stuff out, <laughs> display more stuff, but it's the same thing. I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's going back to uh, composition and trying to keep your eye moving around a room. And a lot of times the corners or little spaces we leave blank because we don't think something can go there. And it's kind of like, your eye travels around and then it's like, Oh, there's nothing there. And your eye kind of stops. It's almost like a, you know, a glitch and then it mm-hmm. keeps going. So it's a way to, to, you know, keep uh, that balance and that composition flowing through the room and getting more things out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In your own home, what is your favorite collection? Oh, <laughs> good one. Uh, I love the the little frame tin types. That's one of the little niche collections. Uh, I don't. Uh, I love the mid century ceramics that is on the back cover of the book. Uh, those are Scandinavian from. Uh, oh yeah, those are really cool. Sixties, and I love how they mix in. Uh, so I don't have a lot. I do have bits and pieces of mid century, uh, but not all. You wouldn't clearly wouldn't say a lot, but. They're also an example of how you take something like that out of context. And those ceramics have such a rich texture and those textures uh, have so much in common with a lot of the painted 19th century furniture. But if they were in a kind of white Tribeca loft kind of space, they would, they'd still be beautiful, but they wouldn't have the same power. I think they have in the context I use them. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, on the back cover, they're sitting on a, a very primitive white um, country cover. So it, it, it's that kind of play of surfaces. There's a, um, a quote that you have in your book, um, styles come and go. Good design is a language, not a style. Um, I guess it's Massimo Vanelli. I don't know if I said that one right, but I tried. <laughs> um <laughs> But let's talk about that because we, and uh, just at Ballard, kind of always speak internally about how, you know, good design is good design. We're going to mix it together. You don't have to, you know, match. And I was curious if anyone ever comes into your shop and asks, you know, and says like, oh, I love this, but it wouldn't match my house. Or what am I going to put with it? And what do you, you know, what what do you kind of say to that? And how can you kind of encourage people to not match? (laughs) 
Mix it up. Well, I always say uh, definitely first thing is, is if you love it, you'll find a place for it. Mm -hmm. And yes. not to... <laughs> not to worry about where is it going to go. I mean, obviously if it's a, you know, 10 foot, 10 by 10 piece, you need to know where it's going to go. But most of the time it's not a big thing that people worry about, you know, a big mm -hmm. object. So I really do think if you respond to it that strongly, uh, you'll find a way of working it into your interior. So first of all, I would, that's what I tell people is like, if you really love it, buy it, you know, you'll find a place for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and that goes with the kind of, you know, I don't, I don't do a lot of interior design jobs because I work much more intuitively, uh, mm -hmm. and I really do. Like I said, I feel like it's much more about an expression of artistic expression. So when I do work with people, I, you know, I do let them know that it, it's, uh, it's, it's intuitive. I can't design or I can't tell you what the room's going to look like. I can't give, I can give you an idea of textures and colors and things, but I can't storyboard the whole thing and, and have it done, you know, the done and just copy that because I have to let the space unfold and let the objects kind of find that find each other. Uh, and I think that's what I tried to um, do or educate to my customers is, is that kind of letting it happen naturally. And that goes again back to, if you really love it, buy it because if you really love it and you put it next to something else that you really love and they build off each other, they're gonna create a, uh, you know, a conversation in a room that represents who you are and a space that you're gonna, you know, enjoy being in and, in, and enjoy sharing with other people. Uh, I think this idea of, of design, instant design, or, you know, we want it now, we want it done <laughs> uh, is not, isn't going to give you the best necessarily the best end result or the most personal result. Yeah. I was thinking just flipping through the book, like, wow, he, the way he's putting these rooms together, I imagine you have to have a lot of patience because yeah, you can't just go out and, you know, right. You have but to I wait for him to find you. So it's, yeah. It's the way people live. That's what I love about it. It's like the journey mm -hmm. of your life of like, you know, right. what did you grow up in seeing? And to your point, you grew up with things in Miami and how they ventured, you know, probably with you. There's items you probably still have from your childhood that, you know, have lived on or moved or become something new. Mm -hmm. And I think we all kind of mm -hmm. live with that. So it is nice to hear that, that we can build slowly because that helps helps us all stay sane. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> True. Well, I thought that was really interesting because you sort of took that idea of a, a journey in a person's life and told the story in that show house. Um, so you did a gentleman's, I, I don't know if it's bedroom or sort of sitting room or his space. And, um, and it was sparsely decorated, but it, he was a well-traveled, world-traveled, World traveler, you know, who had c collected these beautiful items over the course of his life and now displays them in his space. And I love the story behind that. And I was, you know, picking apart every inch of that image, trying to conjure up the person who lived in that space. And it was, I, I think that's how our houses should be, right? We should be able to walk in and kind of conjure who that person is. Absolutely. I, the, the I think now more than ever, of course, with people spending so much more time at home, uh, your home should really be the most uh, or the best uh, example of, of who you are or who you want to share with other people or how you want to share 
you know, with other people. Um, and that only comes with that kind of personal uh, attachment to what you acquire and how you decorate. Yeah. Yeah. What is your oldest collection of things? Like something that's been with you the longest? Hmm. Well, I guess my <laughs> oldest, which isn't in the book, is my extensive collection of antique German Christmas ornaments. Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's really that's, cool. <laughs> yeah. Do you so, put them all up at Chris, Christmas? I do, I do. I have like four different feather trees. <laughs> Are they glass? Yes. Mm -hmm. They're all the original turn of the, the century. Wow. All the, oh, you know, really the figurals, cool. the the snowmen, the Santas, the strange shapes, the berries. So, Do you have pets? So those, I feel like they would be knocking those trees over. Do you <laughs> no pets? Well, I actually I actually <laughs> secretly tie them to the wall. Oh, <laughs> smart. I, I wired them to the wall so if they ever yes. come, come completely down. Mm -hmm. <gasps> yeah. Do oh, tree, help the tree. You? Yes, the yes. tree, yeah. I've had yeah, a tree, tree, tree to the wall. It's not yes. good. <laughs> Middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's not no. a good Christmas surprise. <laughs> no. That's happened to me too. <laughs> this well, is why you tie it to the wall. That's right. Lesson learned. Yes. Fishing line. Mm -hmm. um, should we answer a decorating dilemma? Are there any more questions that we missed? I think we should get Sean to help us. Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. This one is from Lydia and she writes, hello, love, love, love the podcast. I look forward to it every week. We are building our first home. Yay. My dilemma is our wonderful budget for our exterior doors. We are building a brick single level colonial home. My heart is yearning for a mahogany door with two side lights as our entry door. And I'm having trouble deciding on the typical French doors or sliding for our back wall of our great room. I've attached some photos of what I have in mind for the entry door, but what are your thoughts on French doors versus the newer sliding or folding doors? What is your go-to vendor for doors? Thanks so much. That's hard. Yeah. I don't have to describe anything. These are just inspiration photos. Of her house, does she want to have French doors or sliding doors? See, when she says sliding, all I conjure is awful like 50 sliding, but I, I'm assuming there must be beautiful new sliding things. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm, I'm, I thought when I saw that, that she meant the, the folding doors. Mm -hmm. the yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Uh, and I just actually did a, recently did a, a house up here with that. Uh, it was a barn conversion, but it's a very modern, modern, you know, style. So they worked great. Uh, and I also love French doors. Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so it's really, it's really hard. I guess I would say though, that if she is sticking with a traditional style and they were going to do that traditional front door with the transoms or the glass on either side, then the French doors would fit better mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. style. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I just use regular Anderson, you know, 400 series. Anderson's a great, just plenty of mm -hmm. other, you know, not too expensive, but really um, Pella, you know, very, they're very standard. You can find it the big box stores as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say French doors uh, uh, over folding for a traditional 
feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you're getting yeah, wood. Especially, Don't get a metal yeah, and wood. Yeah. Wood, at least wood interior mm-hmm. and, and real divided light. Right. Not the, not the fake stuff. Not the pains the between the attachment, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the in and out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Well, a lot of people that like it. a really big difference. It does. You don't, you wouldn't yeah. think so, right? But you're like you're saying, it's those little details, the small object in the room. Yeah. Um, but people will say, oh, it's just so hard to clean. I'm like, how often do you clean your windows, people? Come on. Not that often. Yeah. So just do it. Get the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lydia. All right. You're welcome. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Our second one today is from Lisa and she writes, hi ladies. Thanks for being a, and gentlemen, I'm so sorry, Sean. They don't know. know. (laughs) Um, Thanks for being a bright spot in my socially distant summer. My mom has a dilemma. Her new house has a kitchen window. You can see from the front door. The upper kitchen cabinets don't go up to the ceiling, but the window over the sink is taller than the cabinets. It looks so strange to us. She doesn't need a window covering for light or privacy, but we're thinking it needs something to disguise the height. My mom was thinking maybe a white might match stick shade lower to the tops of the cabinets or a Roman shade. Is a Valance 280s or should the tops of the cabinets be styled differently? Help and thanks. So I'm just going to briefly Lisa. describe what, what Lisa's mom's kitchen looks like. So when you when you walk in the front door, it looks like you can see straight maybe into the kitchen through an arched double wide doorway. Maybe it's four feet wide or something like that. Um, and there's an island and on the other side of the island is the kitchen sink with a window that has no dressing on it. And like she said, she doesn't need it for privacy or anything. But then on the left side and the right side of this window, and it's a white wall or a cream wall, are dark wood kitchen cabinets floating there on the left and the right of the window. And so they're thinking that that window looks a little odd right there. What should they do? This is a tougher one, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but I have some ideas. Uh, So the first thing I I thought of was because the cabinets kind of float on that back wall was, and I noticed it looks like the house is mostly all white. I don't know if there's any color anywhere, but one trick, you know, and, and paint uh, is an, an amazing inexpensive way to do a renovation or to do something that's doesn't, you know, that will make it look like it built in. Mm -hmm. So I would Mm -hmm. paint that back wall a darker color. Mm -hmm. So the cabinets don't seem to be floating like they are. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go real, you know, when I say a darker color, it doesn't have to be dark, but something, it could just be a taupe or or something, you know, an off, an off, like a, you know, a grayish or something. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that will help the cabinets not, not, you know, because what's happening is the cabinets look like they're floating. Mm-hmm. And then you have this window in the middle that doesn't line up. Talk about symmetry. It doesn't line up with the top of the cabinets. Mm-hmm. So darkening that back wall will definitely improve that immensely. Mm-hmm. And then um, the comment of re- restyling or decorating the cabinet tops, that will also help uh, if you add more like a collection of wood bowls or, or, you know, metal boxes or tea tins or something that creates a line. And then the one thing extra you could do, I don't think a, a blind is a good idea or a valance or a matchstick because that's really just going to draw attention to it. Uh, but you could do a little shelf over the window and put mm. small, a small collection of items over that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And, 
you would have this line of collection over the cabinets, over the door, I mean, over the window and over the cabinet mm. again. And on a darker wall, what happens is that whole back wall becomes an installation. Right. So it's one unit yeah. almost back there as opposed to hanging yeah. cabinets, base cabinets. Yes. Yeah. You won't see these three elements. And it's and essentially camouflage. not a very big, we're talking paint and maybe one, like two wood brackets and a piece of wood mm -hmm. from, again, a big box you know, home store. From Ballard, Sean. He's new at this. It's okay. <laughs> so, Sean, let me ask this. So, uh, for the top of her cabinets, do you think she needs um, a collection of things that are similar or go together, or what would you do? I think that it can be. It can be. You know, you, you, you can play with heights on that top, like on top of cabinets, and whether it's a kitchen cabinet or a you know built-in cabinet or an armoire. So you can have like a stack of bowls that may be eight inches high or six inches high next to a taller apothecary jar collection or something. So you can play, it's almost like the skyline of a city. You can play with, you know, it going up and down a little because, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't all have to be monotonous one level. Okay. So I think she needs the thing you want to avoid though, again, is just a bunch of, you know, chug a block full of little things because uh -huh. then that will negate uh, the uh, what we're trying to do, which is create an installation effect. Got it. I think she needs some antique oxygen tanks like you use in <laughs> your book because they're so cool. Oh, I thought they were fire extinguishers. Yes, you will only fire get fire this if you actually, oh, fire extinguishers. <laughs> they look like oxygen tanks. Well, or like an oxygen tank a, fire, um, a fireman would use or something like to they're very know, good looking. go into a burning building. They're really cool. Mm -hmm. Um. You that's would only get this if you've read the book. So you got to read the book to see what we're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, that's a team. Go order it. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. That's it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank Good you. luck. Lisa. The book is beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sean, for sharing. Everyone go buy All it. your beauty. Yes. yes. We appreciate it. Tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, get your book. Uh, IG, cabinet and camera and cabinet and camera.com. Uh, it's uh, by Vendome Press, distributed by Abrams, so it should be available everywhere, um, and you know even through your local bookstore, as well mm -hmm. as of course Amazon or anywhere else you would buy buy books. And it's cabinet yeah. and camera with a K, you guys. Yes, two, two T's in cabinet. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty cover. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we'll obviously we'll link to it in our show notes. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can leave us a review in your podcast app. We would love to read it. And of course, subscribe to the show so it downloads straight to your phone. The show notes for each episode are at howtodecorate.com slash podcast. And follow us on social media. And the How to Decorate podcast is now a skill on your Alexa. That's right. So you can just ask Alexa to play the How to Decorate podcast after you go and enable it under the skills on Amazon.com. Yes. Super easy. Super easy. Tell Alexa to play the How to Decorate podcast and your life will be so much exactly. happier. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Happy, happy decorating. decorating.